Welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers hosted by me, Patrick, and my co-host, Ruben, or Barefoot Farmer. Um, if you're hearing this, it means that against all odds, I figured out how to edit and post the first episode, and we decided it was good enough to do a second. <laughs> Still seems unlikely. <laughs> um, but here and, we are. Yeah, here we are. What's so, so first things first, I just want to say Barefoot. I'm not claiming any causation here, but would you say that you've had your best competitive results since you started <laughs> co-hosting slash listening to the Farming Eternal podcast? Absolutely. Yes. Job well done. <laughs> the, the correlation Again. is so obvious. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm just, I'm just throwing out two disparate facts. People, if they want to put them together, can. Anyway, so that was just my way of saying congratulations on making it into the top 64. We're going to talk, I think, after we go through our main draft topics, a little bit about Constructed. So if people want to listen to that, they can stick around and maybe hear a little bit about Barefoot's uh, experience getting into the, the ECQ Top 64. Anyway, if you have anything to say, too. No, I yeah, that we just came up with the idea to postpone any talks of ranked for the sake of the people who enjoy listening to this for draft content. So we're just stick with draft and for those of you who have the will power and fortitude to make it to the end i'll give you my thoughts or experience on being in the second day of the tournament which is ultimately unsatisfying in some ways because I, I went oh two so but you can hear how it happened if that's interesting but yeah let's move on to draft talk yeah so um the first thing i wanted to say is uh Again, thank everyone for listening and making it to the second episode. And I was, uh, Barefoot and I had been talking this week about one of the things we wanted to add to the show. And one of that was sort of talking about the metagame and how the metagame was evolving and, and what decks are currently winning. I was hoping we could start compiling a list of decks that go 7x uh, in draft and... Barefoot's been sending me um, his drafts that have gone 7x, and I'm working on going 7x in this new format <laughs> to add to the list eventually. Um, but also, if any listeners out there would uh, like to send us any uh, deck lists of theirs that goes 7x, um, you can send that to farmingeternal at gmail.com. And I'm going to start trying to compile lists of well, of what faction combinations and stuff um, are doing well. And, um, you know, there's two options. One is to get them in screenshots, and then maybe I could just make a spreadsheet and people can look at the screenshots of the decks. The other idea I had was if, which is a little bit more work for the people drafting, is maybe making an Eternal Warcry username and then if people send me exports of their draft lists, I could just import it into Eternal Warcry, and then people could like look at it that way. But um, so as it currently stands, uh, I'd be happy if anyone sent me any deck list. So whatever is more convenient for people at first, but it's just something to think about. Yeah, lots of ways to do it. Next, we're going to our first segment of the show, uh, Card of the Week. It's week two, and I'm already going to cheat a little bit, but... Um, if you remember from last week, uh, I forget which draft it was. It was the first or second one. Um, the second pick was a Stone Shell Walker, uh, a Praxis card. 
and we had kind of talked about how my first pick had had been uh, Power Breach Sentinel, so it was a time card. So I was like trying to stay in faction a little bit with the second card. And then after that, I kept trying to stay in Praxis. And one of the things I was thinking about this week is, is that just like the wrong way of going about it? Because like Praxis are, I don't know how you call it, but you know, like two touching factions. And so there's only one tri-faction that has Praxis, right? in it yeah at this point so by trying to be praxis you're not actually giving yourself any flexibility as compared to if you're trying to be uh time primal or time shadow yeah that's so yeah exactly there like you have skycrag you know has two different has justice and the option to go with time whereas praxis yeah i think just has the ability to go with primal yeah, so I know it's it's probably not a hard fast rule, but it kind of just made me think like having your first two colors be pair colors, in, as in they're next to each other on the I don't know what they call it in internal the color pie. Definitely right. Like there is an incentive to be in one of the ones that's more flexible and has support. At least early on. Anyway, that was yeah. just what I was thinking about with uh, when I was kind of like steering my deck towards practice when maybe i should have because that was the actual draft where um again you can listen back to the last episode where we talk about it extensively but where third pick there was a strong justice card but i was like oh i don't want to be adding justice just yet because that's not like a supported tricolor thing with practice but maybe i should have gone into justice because actually yeah uh, same with shadow too yeah they don't combine in any of the tri-factions. Okay, anyway, so that was my card of the week, is uh, Praxis slash Stoneshell Walker. So, uh, Ruben? My card of the week was Mass Entomacy. Uh, I just wanted to talk Entomancy. Just talk about why it's bad, because I know a lot of people hear and, you know, read tier lists and hear a lot about, you know, oh, just, like, don't touch certain cards, just don't do it, and then don't really, like, go too into depth about why you're not touching these cards, because it it does help with your understanding of the game, and, you know, some of these tier lists, like, lets you into the mind of uh, some of the more seasoned players, I guess. Um, and as far as mass intimacy, it's a transformation effect is not this quite the same as removal, especially in eternal, the way that everything works in magic. It's very different. You know, lots of removal, basically just knock a creature out or bounce it typically. Whereas in eternal transforming a card just leaves all, all of the weapons, you know, the attachments and stuff still on it. So, so many times, and this, we've talked about how this is a Voltron draft format. So a lot of times you turn their best unit who's wielding a bunch of weapons into a 1-1 flyer does literally nothing for you, except maybe give them flying and make them even better. <laughs> so it's I just wanted to explain it because I think a lot of people were failing. to. I, I think it's also good to just get your experience on your own playing the game. Obviously, that's the fastest way to improve is to just play more, but... A lot of times you read tier lists and they're just like, oh, don't touch that card. But if you looked at mass intimacy from, from especially a magic player's background, you might wonder why it's not appraised higher because it, it it looks like removal on paper, but it's not quite. Yeah, um, I, it's also expensive. Four is very expensive for a polymorph and it's, you know, not even a polymorph. 
I agree. I think Mass Intimacy is uh, one of those cards that tricked me a little bit too because it was it was a card actually that you know like a lot of people immediately said probably wasn't very good, but I just like kept looking at it and it just seemed good. And I do think there are two things holding it back. One is like you were saying with all the all the weapons and stuff there that actually just like a transform effect like that a polymorph isn't as effective as it could be in other formats. And then also, for being a tricolor format, I feel like it's a surprisingly fast format. And so how how often are you really hitting the eight anyway? So then it's really just an... If you're not getting the the two for one, it's really just an expensive polymorph then. Yeah, it's way too expensive to be good. Yeah. That's that's, that's also a point. <laughs> so it's, it's got many things going for it. Yeah. Because I feel... being a great card. It's, it, it's a fine 27th card, maybe, if you really needed another playable... Because sometimes you do change directions late in your draft, which I, I do support from time to time, and it just means picking weird cards like this to play. Because it, it'll it'll make your deck, and it'll sometimes be fine and win you the game even. But generally speaking, you're trying to go for more powerful effects at those power levels. Yeah, and I feel like if this was a format where everyone was playing like a ton of Power Breach Sentinels and big guys like that, then maybe it would be doing a little bit more work, but... Since you can get so much, since there's so much Rakano out there. Yeah. Okay, well that's uh, that was good. So on to our main topic this week. W- what we were planning on talking about actually was we were going to start going through the different tri factions, starting with Relic. Right before we started recording, um, the patch notes that are going to take effect uh, tomorrow came out. And uh, there seems to be quite a few doozies for draft, too. So not only did they attempt to nerf FJS, they decided to shake up the draft format a little bit. They so, did quite a bit. So we're having an emergency emergency main topic. And I yep. think uh, we're just going to go through the different changes, tell people about them in case they somehow missed it. And this is the first way they're hearing about it. And, uh, and then just kind of talk about how we think that'll affect things. So take it away, Ruben. Uh, all right. Well, I mean, I guess we'll just go card by card, and then we'll talk about how this impacts certain archetypes while we go. The first one was Mighty Strikes. They obviously put that one first just because it's quite significant. They changed it to three power instead of two. The influence are still the same, Fire Primal. But this is really a big nerf, in my opinion, to a lot of the more aggressive decks that have been using it because the difference between plus... The plus two plus two effect for two versus three is actually gonna because there are many many games where you use it at two and it's just great even as a quick combat trick. But at three, it's really not a quick combat trick. Unfortunately, it doesn't give you a lot of room to play other things early in your in your turns. So being three for the first and then six now for getting two of the effect is gonna change its power level quite a bit. Um, it's still obviously a playable card, and I think you're you're still going to want to pick it up, but you're not going to be first picking Mighty Strikes over good uncommons as much um, and rares and things. I found myself so many times just looking at a pack where it's like, this is a solid win condition, but Mighty Strikes wins games too and is flexible early game. So it, it's it's affected it a good deal. Yeah, I think it moves it solidly into the finisher category 
Which I also I do I granted I feel like was how I saw it most often played was just as a game ender. So yeah. I don't know if it hurts its power level that much in that regard, but it does take away from its flexibility. Yeah, well, it, it makes other pump spells look a little more appealing too. Right. Like um, the 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 green one. I mean, the justice one that gives plus three plus three at instant speed. Now feral through is looking a little better as your go-to for renown triggers and stuff. Because that, that affects how you draft, because say you earlier had just picked a bunch of Mighty Strikes, you wouldn't even be thinking about that card, whereas now it's going to be... Because you, you, you only you need so many pump effects in a deck now that the, the quality level is more similar, and even maybe there's an argument for Barrel Through potentially being better in certain decks. It's going to change the way that you are drafting these aggressive decks, I think. It doesn't make drafting an aggressive deck bad or anything anymore it's just gonna change how you appraise mighty strikes i think that's obviously a big change because it was considered by many people to be the the best common Mm -hmm. including myself i think it was the best common by far and now it's uh i think conflagrate's definitely the best (laughs) is arguable between conflagrate and mighty strikes for some players um depending on your the style of your deck if you're drafting one of these decks with fire that was more controlling conflagrate was actually better for some of those decks but now it's definitely um if you're looking for an idea of what the best common is i'd start there okay all right and that's that's all i got to say about the mighty strikes well well everything else you know we'll have to see how it plays out as we continue to draft more okay so next broken wing brawler is now a three three when it was uh three four for five justice yeah this is crazy because I, I thought the card was kind of medium to begin with. <laughs> I I agree. I th- I think this is one of those cards where I feel like people were overvaluing it, and so people thought it was stronger than it was when it it never felt that strong to me. I mean, yeah. not that it was a bad card, but it never felt like you know people at first. I felt like we're talking about it as like you know a first pick kind of like. Powerhouse. I think I think what what Direwolf was getting at with this change was just to make justice based aggressive decks a little more all in instead of having a easy to find three four for certain defensive situations. Mm-hmm. I suppose because I mean you want to be attacking with it anyway, but making it so it can't block three threes. I I, I mean I don't really disagree with the change, but I also think that whether or not you want to be picking this card now it's definitely not as good um mm-hmm. it, that that body is not nearly as good we'll, we'll see if that has any sort of implications because it was typically you know your 26 27th card in your deck <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I was cutting it from a lot of decks so i i don't know how big of a deal it's going to be for justice aggressive decks but it, it could just bring the power level down just a tiny bit as far as the depth of their the power level of their commons. Yeah, dies to com- conflagrate now. Oh, good point. That is that's significant. <laughs> Let's go to the next one. Okay, I I have literally no idea what Blaze does. Blaze <laughs> is the one that does uh, damage equal to the number of units you have. It is in the Winchest, or as LSV likes to say, the Ambition factions. Uh, ambition faction, uh, Fire, Justice, Shadow. And it was five, and now it's four. Um, and it 
And you then you you deal damage to an enemy. So an enemy is pretty much anything. Gain that much armor. So it was the reason that so many people would just always tell you it's bad because it's just five is way too expensive for something that is not even guaranteed to do anything because mm-hmm. you need a you need a board to make sure that it can hit anything of of substance. Um, and this change is very significant with another change which I guess we could skip down to, which was scavenged, now is three shadow and plays three rats, whereas it used to be two shadow and play two rats. And that's a pretty decent buff, especially for this strategy in general, because uh, that's like an assembly line, in I mean, a poor man's assembly line, but still increases the power level of the blaze now in, mm-hmm. that, in that style of deck by quite a bit. So I think they... They had seen that this deck was underperforming, and it, if we had done our trifaction overview that we had planned on doing, I was going to rate Winchest as probably the worst of the bunch, because it just takes so much to get it right and to make it powerful. I've seen it, I've seen it do crazy things, but generally speaking, it's just not it's not giving anybody seven win drafts. So <laughs> that's how I judge it. But this is going to be a good change for the deck, and I think it's it's going to move it up just a, a little notch. It's not going to be the most broken deck available to you just yet. But yeah, I I'm I'm leaning towards that. This is still it's it, I don't know if this knocks it out of sort of fifth tier yet for me. Just looking at the changes, I mean, I agree, scavenge scavenge helps but it's i mean even four mana with you know three faction requirements for a chance for it to do nothing is still quite a big ask not that it's a bad card but it's still a very situational card so there are definitely decks that will probably do good and broken things with it but i still think if you're just in a normal deck that just happens to be in Winchester, it still might not be a good card. You're still going to have to work yeah. to make it good, yeah. even at it's, four. Yeah, this this is, um, you could think of it as more changing these two cards as a buff to that entire archetype in general, because these were cards that were kind of core to their existence. Um, the rats, especially, was sounds stupid, but there are certain decks using bear arms and things like that to just do crazy busted things and now your chance of actually pulling off the busted fun winchest deck is gone up quite a bit so i think yeah. that's it, it's worth trying i mean I, I would i would have told you before to avoid that strategy almost <laughs> at all costs and now they've they've helped to bring it into playable yeah so I, I i literally have never drafted that deck because it just having a bunch of things that can't block and you know, you really needed the rats to be open to swarm the board and make some of these cards good. It was just the the payoffs weren't good. And the payoffs, like you said, Blaze is still not great. It requires building around, but they gave it a, a little boost. So I'm excited to at least give it a shot at some point. Yeah, because yeah, I actually felt like uh, this is a little off uh, the topic of the changes, but like... Winchest as a color combination, I don't think was necessarily horrible because, like, Fire, Justice, and Shadow all had some, you know, like you could just make uh, Rakano sort of 
base deck with a couple of those um that two mana one two empower guy you know so there were like a couple pretty good shadow cards too not that shadow is a great faction in this in this set but you know so you could make a pretty passable winchest deck you just couldn't make a good go wide rats deck very easily right so um, hopefully that helps us so next uh Lethri intimidator uh is now a four shadow two four when it was a four shadow shadow two three. Yeah, so this is uh, actually, I I miss, I kind of missed this one when I was going through it, but this also helps the rats deck um, to a certain degree by because that's a you know intimidator is the one that empowers pumps your team. Right. Um. It so the, obviously that's really good for go wide strategies whereas before it was hard this this card wasn't quite as good because both it was two three for four which wasn't fantastic it doesn't really do much if your board is not super developed um but double shadow influence is pretty bad it 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 really does hurt a card like we mentioned last week about how tokens and bannermen and things force you to pick certain influence types instead you know you don't get all of them like you do in magic when you play a dual land you have to pick with some of these cards and it hurt things that were a little more influence intensive it made you make bad decisions i felt like a lot when you don't need to and now intimidator is a four power two four instead of a three two three for just one shadow so that's that's great. That's just a really good buff to this card in general. A 2-4 four for 4 is not bad and blocks really well um, with so many 3-3s three for 3 and and stuff running around. It's it's going to be more relevant and also better for the go-wide uh, rats decks and stuff. So do you pick uh, Lethra Intimidator above Broken Wing Brawler for your Empower deck now? Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. They both have the same value in stats, and one does way more work. So, you know, a 3-3 three, three for 5 versus a 2-4 four for 4 is a big difference, and I think the the impact the Intimidator can have on the game is much higher mm-hmm. than a Broken Wing Brawler was already kind of like, well, I don't... I, I A lot of times when I had him, I just wanted to block with him anyway because he had 4 toughness. And you you needed the power to be for it to be good. Whereas with Intimidator, you don't necessarily need the power for it to be decent because it's already a two four for four, which blocks fairly well. Right. So yeah, I'd say I'd say I definitely would rate Intimidator above Brawler for sure. Okay, so we talked a little bit about Scavenge. Did you want to say any more about that? I think we covered it. Three okay. rats, three rats better than two rats. Yeah. Big surprise. <laughs> I mean that that makes the card a much better top deck and cost the the differences I, I don't think a big deal for a deck that just wanted a mass of guys it doesn't care that they're horrible guys they just need lots of guys so, yeah 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 I'm just never done to get over the rats camp block thing I just <laughs> that's yeah, like it, I have a it, I, I know you have to be all in, man. You just gotta you gotta have that mindset that you're you're playing those rats to to either put weapons on or pump with intimidators or <laughs> or to trigger bear arms and make somebody massive. Like yeah, I think that's that's the trick. Otherwise, I'm just like I feel like I'm constantly with a board full of rats, being like, well, I can't attack because every single one of my rats dies. The rats themselves are still bad. 
Okay, the next card we have up is Lazy Firemane, which is now a 3-2 uh, that plays two Wildcats with Renown that used to be the 3-3 three, three that played one Wildcat. Uh, ob so obviously this is another big buff to the go-wide token strategies, and this is pretty significant as well. I, I think that the more we keep going through these spoilers, the more we're realizing that that deck got multiple buffs so this is quite interesting yeah it it is um i just realized that we uh we missed resilient wagoneer in the list uh which is uh now empower plus two plus two for each of your other units was plus one plus one for each of your other units and this continues in the same vein actually where they're just like doing a lot to really help this go wide strategy and I kind of like looking through all of this, how they're doing it by taking like cards that other factions also want. So I think it's these um, these changes, I think, will also help with like sort of draft competition because there's like a real nice intermingling of the different things like empower cards can now help uh, the go wide strategy. You know, the renown, there's a renown card that now helps the go wide strategy. Yeah, that's a great point. I think it's it. This changes multiple deck. The you know, it's not just the token decks that's getting a buff. There are some other decks that are going to be looking for intimidators and uh, maybe even scavenge. Who knows? <laughs> if you're aggressive enough and you have enough well, combat tricks and pump spells, uh, three one ones for three might be good enough to make the cut. Yeah, and it. I think it'll help. It'll make it. I'm hoping also that it makes the drafts slightly less on rails, you know? So, like, you know, like the Resilient Wagoneer, you know, that was just, like, a f you know, I felt like maybe it was a fine Empower card, but now now that two decks want it, you're not always just going to be like, oh, now I'm the Empower deck, just take all the Empower cards, or now I'm... I guess the Go Wide didn't really have a keyword, so it made it a little more difficult to just, like, go by keyword, but, you know, I don't yeah. know. No, that's true. All right, so the final change, and this one is near and dear to uh, Barefoot's Heart, Consuming Greed is now 4 Shadow for 2-1 instead of 5 Shadow Shadow for 3-1. I'm very happy because I, I was already playing this card. <laughs> so I, I, it's definitely a buff. Uh, the redu reduction in stats is really nothing at all. The difference between a 3-1 and a 2-1 is pretty slight. But being able to play it a turn earlier is just going to create some really nasty curve outs now with that relic based deck. Um, so it, it, I think in this, like we were going to talk a little bit about just generally how to draft these relic decks and when and see when it's open. Um, Consuming Greed was usually a pretty solid signal to me that the people to my right weren't even thinking about that uh, type of deck and didn't have any good relics yet and weren't drafting it um so it was usually my signal to move in when i saw consuming greeds especially later in the pack like mid to late in the first pack if you start seeing consuming greeds it's a good <laughs> that's it can be a good choice to move in especially if you've already taken something like a pitfall trap um and later on i think we had planned to go through all the available relics matters cards in both the draft packs and the packs of defiance it makes me realize that <laughs> pulling this deck off is a little tough at times because there's not quite as many good relics to pick up. But 
generally speaking, this deck isn't highly valued and drafted, so it will come completely open from time to time and be very good. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think this is this is a cool change. I'm glad they're giving a little bit of love to the relic strategy as well. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if uh, this causes a few more people to try to draft the deck, or if this will continue to be uh, a farming internal secret tech. <laughs> but um, I think what we're going to do is, because of these changes, you know, we just went through them. And so next week, I'm hoping we're going to go through, we'll do a deep dive on the Relic deck. And for this week, we'll just kind of do what we just did. Um, and also, you know, we were going to do a tri, the tri-faction overview. But again, I think there's just so many changes. It's really hard to, the overview is the same, but to kind of get a sense of, how this affects their power ranking. I think we're going to wait for next week for that. So stay tuned, everyone. That's the end of our main topic for today. Um, so normally now we move into our draft segment where we go through a couple drafts that we've done this week and talk about picks and possible other picks, cards in contention, and just have a generally a good discussion around um, the just around a draft. This week, due to a mixture of time constraints, technical difficulties, and the fact that the whole draft uh, format is going to be changing soon, we decided to skip the segment for this week, just move on to the end of the show and uh, Barefoot's experience in the uh, ECQ qualifier in Top 64. But we will be back next week with the, the in-depth draft analysis that we've come to expect. All right, so that's the end of the show that we have for you today. Um, uh, as we teased earlier, we're going to have a little bit of uh, bonus content again this week, uh, talking about Constructed. Um, I'm once again going to hand it off to Ruben, who kind of, um, you know, took charge last week and did quite well in the, uh, the qualifying rounds. I was mostly, I was actually at Farmer's Market, being that this is a farming podcast. <laughs> nice. And, um, it was uh, cheering him on from my phone. but. Uh, um, well, yeah, I don't want to bore people too much with any of my opinions on the metagame and everything. Now that we're in a post-balance patch world, um, it was a pretty big balance uh, change that they just released, and supposedly they're doing even more tomorrow. So... Uh, yeah, I, I will we'll just stick to talking a little bit just about the experience of playing in these ECQs and stuff. Um, I, I think I chose FJS to play for very obvious reasons. Um, I wasn't because you're, you're one of them. I am one of them. <laughs> yes. I, yeah, I I don't disparage anyone for being a net decker. Um, but yeah, FJS was. The thing was, I wanted to play something exciting. I, I am the type of person who enjoys playing a deck that's unseen and kind of fun and uh, kind of breaks the metagame. But I, I stared at many decks. I spent a lot of time prepping for this tournament. And I just kept coming back to that this FJS deck, this Winchest deck, because it's just so strong. It just did everything I needed the deck to do, which is be aggro outgrind other mid-range decks, beat control decks by just super valuing them with display of ambitions and stuff. It was just, it did way too many things too well. So, and Rizan was particularly broken. 
um, well, in, in her past form, she was she she got nerfed pretty pretty decently. I don't think it's gonna make her unplayable. But um, anyways, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, she still was, kills sites, so yeah, exactly. She still basically does the same thing. She just doesn't wreck uh, life with doesn't wreck the aggro strategies quite as strongly as she once did because actually setting up her life steal is going to be a lot harder whereas before it was so easy um but anyways yeah the the fjs deck was i i had tested it for several days leading up to it it wasn't like a last second uh choice on my part i had i had done some testing with it and had found that I was winning a lot of the mirror matches consistently. I think just from having played it and understanding how the mirror match played out as well and certain key decision points, um, especially with regards to the card Regent's Tomb, I found was was particularly useful. Knowing when to snag that and out of your market and when not to is pretty critical in that matchup because if you do pull it out and it's not going to be good, it's just horrible. And if you do get it out of your market and it's gonna be good it wins you the game so there are there are a lot of things like that that i felt pretty excited and confident about the deck um my my other my deck that was in a standby i guess would be uh an alessi they call it moo lessi it's a carindon deck um it's really it's super powerful it also runs regent's tomb very well and it was just it's a very strong deck that has some really good matchups. It just wasn't quite as good as my FGS deck, and my um, my results were definitely showing me that I made the right choice. Um, but I, I ended up getting paired with a uh, fire the Fire Time Primal FTP Peaks deck with Zhao Cheese. It was um, J J Mang is the guy's name. He's I've now friended him. We actually, after our match, talked a lot about his upcoming matchups in the top 64 and stuff and talked about how they would go and we were talking strategy and stuff. It was kind of fun. Um, I, I There were two aggro decks where our, the next people in our bracket. So I would have been heavily favored and he ended up, I think, losing to a mall or something. That's just a horrible matchup for him. Um, so it's just... It, it can be, you know, those tournaments can be very matchup dependent. Mm-hmm. But he, he ran away with both games really quickly. I made a couple of greedy, aggressive attacks, particularly in one game, um, which may have costed me the game, but I, I wasn't really in it. It never felt like I was in it. it that, those decks are so powerful when they curve out perfectly into Howling Peaks and Zalchis and stuff. It's just really hard to get through. But yeah, it was it was a fun experience all around. I liked, you know, having to be on my A game a little bit. Yeah, a, a couple of things uh, that I wanted to key off of. Uh, I was just wondering, so how do you do most of your testing? Is it just in ranked, or do you have a core group of friends uh, that you work with, and are you just doing... Uh... It's mostly just a lot of playing. Um, mm-hmm. It's I, I have the good luck... Uh, well, I guess it's taken a long time to get there, but uh, I have pretty high MMR, so I end up getting matched with a lot of better players, which means I, I get to kind of be on ahead of the curve as far as seeing what uh, new innovations people are bringing for a, a higher level of competition. So if you're 
if you're out there and playing and you're wondering why, you know, everybody, a lot of people make masters. I'm going to say everybody because it takes a lot of grinding most of the time to make masters. But um, you do have like a hidden matchmaking uh, ranking mm-hmm. that sticks with you, you into the next season even, which influences where you get placed in masters and everything. And I've noticed, you know, a lot of times it looks incredibly fun and I wish I was in the higher masters bracket because a lot of those people are playing fun decks because there's not really much difference between rank, you know, 500 and rank, you know, 2000. Like it's all kind of, you're just masters having fun, like play testing stuff and people kind of cut loose a little bit. But if you're, if you're in those, in those, you know, in that bracket of players, it can be hard to get a sense of what a lot of the better decks are and what a lot of the better players are probably going to be bringing. Um, yeah. But it just it requires just consistency, essentially. Right. Just playing a lot and being really paying attention to metagame decisions because that's, that's how you win games and increase your win percentage and ranked is by having the meta knowledge seeing like oh this person played this combination of factions and having a game plan right there on the spot knowing okay i saw he played elysian colors that really whittles it down to just a couple of decks and then all it takes is one more card or one more power they play for me to almost know exactly what they're playing and to lay out my game plan accordingly and so things like that have have definitely had an impact on where how you continuously improve and move up the ladder and ranked. Mm-hmm. I'd say that's the biggest difference. Um, you know, not play games when you're tired and half awake in bed and stuff too. <laughs> yeah, I choose I choose to play my game. You know, when I play ranked and stuff, I'm typically after my first cup of coffee on a day where I'm not working as much and I sit down and really focus and that's how, how yeah. you get some good reps in. Yeah, I just think it's uh, pretty cool, um, you know, knowing that a pretty busy workload and, you know, a full-time job and yet not a te- I don't, you know, you watch like a lot of streamers and there's all these teams and stuff, but it's, you know, it's kind of inspiring to see that someone who's not in college, not a full-time gamer, but is able to, you know, just through playing ranked and through just playing, you know, dedication and playing well and finding the time and finding success. I think it's really cool. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, you got to spend a lot of time (laughs) when you're able to. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's always a balance. I, I have the benefit of years of playing Magic to help with the transition i think so it wasn't too tough a lot of those those certain strategic points as far as um the the, just the overall philosophy of how to play out these games and how to know when you're being the more controlling deck or more aggressive deck in a certain situation those types of lessons you just learn over time by playing games like this um so i think that's just having that foundation helped a lot um, but i think everybody can get there pretty quickly and easily if they're paying enough attention and and having fun with it too you know you can't cool all right yeah. so i have two more quick things that i wanted to um to touch on about about this is one um 
you know, we talked in the last episode a little bit about how they were changing, you know, the qualifying round where you are now locked into the deck. Yeah. And before the tournament, I was kind of, I thought that was a good change and was kind of glad that they did that. But while watching the tournament and thinking about it after, I kind of wondered if that led to the top 64 having so much FJS. Because, you know, people were picking FJS. I hear, hear me out on the theory, and then I'd like to hear your thoughts. But I was just wondering if, you know, FJS has such a good matchup against so many different decks that it, it made a lot of sense to, to play in the qualifying rounds. But I wonder if you were able to switch decks, if more people would have tried to, like, next level the playing field oh absolutely and therefore add a lot more variety um to you know to that top 64 i think you're completely completely right about that i i think that i I personally was one of the people that would have changed um to a different deck for the tournament bracket portion because i would have expected that effect that you were mentioning that everybody would have played the most consistent deck of, you know as far as matchups grow across the board and then switching into something that had a good matchup against that for the tournament would have been great um it's it's because part of it is you expect to see a little more aggro in these uh in the qualifying rounds um i i think that generally speaking especially if you play on saturday a lot of people are jamming 28 games and it's just so it's so grueling to do 28 games with a deck that doesn't win relatively quickly and fgs did that it won quite quickly with varas and rizons and (laughs) zos and everything so it it was a good choice because it, it did both game plans quite well it could stall out control and remove units really well while also developing its own game plan but that it it has weaknesses like people have been pointing out all week that it did have weaknesses everybody's clamoring for for the nerfs which i i don't disagree with i think they were good but yeah Yeah. it's it's not as egregious as i think people thought but like you said it was just such a consistent and and smooth deck and just a good choice for that style of tournament just having to jam 28 games to yeah to get as many wins as possible but yeah you i think you're right if if they allowed you to switch decks for the bracket part you would have seen some insane innovation i think you would have seen some crazy stuff coming out personally yeah i think it would have been it would have been very surprising you would have seen a lot more of that strange like kennedans and things like that people would have been picking up last second because you don't want to play a deck like Kennedy's for a 28 round potentially just running into a bunch of fast aggro decks or you know things like that i think I it, it was a good choice but i think a lot of people would have made the choice yeah. you know had they been able to switch yeah god bless kubi right yeah that was amazing <laughs> watching him play was incredible he just he did really well yeah um yeah i you know not the armchair quarterback uh direwolf too much but i i because i also i i i don't know how you feel um but i did like the fact that it was it allowed an even playing field with open deck lists for everyone so you weren't hurt by being on camera and stuff like that 
but I, I wonder if there's a way interface wise that they could have a happy medium where you can, where they allow the deck switching and then just like have people have to lock it in like within eight hours of the um, qualifier closing or something. So then the next morning they can send deck lists to everyone. So you at least have a general idea of what everyone's playing, but also allow for that innovation. Maybe. I mean, yeah, now that you bring it up, I feel like adding extra, <laughs> considering how many missteps we've had, especially in the coverage of some of these tournaments, it might it might be dangerous to change things up too much. But I, I think you're right. I think there's there could be a happy medium where we get the best of both worlds. We get to see, you know, we get the grind into the top 28 and then just like play something crazy that we think might win the tournament. Yeah, I think it would make it a you know a, a better viewing experience. I think um, you, you know again not to criticize, but this was maybe not the most interesting of you know I've watched all the tournaments and this was maybe the one I was least excited for. I also had two kids running around screaming all day too. So that, <laughs> yeah, it didn't help my viewing experience. That can but, cloud your judgment. But uh, um, yeah, I agree. It was it was not as exciting from that from a standpoint of somebody who's tuning in to see what crazy innovations the best players came up with for the tournament. And and the matches actually were, you know, I don't actually think FJS versus FJS uh, is boring necessarily, but it's it's still, you know... No, there's many decision points, you're right. But it's just, I think it's just fun watching Spice, so people... Well, I'm not going to add on to the heaps of criticisms yeah, <laughs> for the uh, week. I'm gonna leave it. At, I'm very excited. These balance changes just happened, and yeah, I'm gonna be paying close attention tomorrow too to what they add. So okay, and then finally, my third point is uh, that, or the third thing I wanted to ask about is how I cannot win with that Mulesi deck. <laughs> oh, you you've tried it. I I I. Yeah, I, I finally I put down my replicator deck for <laughs> in my attempt to get the masters this month. I I was like, oh well, you know, you'd I, and there was just something about FJS that made me not want to really play it. I'm I'm like a a tier one point five kind of a guy, and I I I'm always like I just never really like playing the quote unquote best deck. Um, but I don't yeah. really have any competitive ambitions in that sense. So well, it's it's not exactly fun to just slog through mirror matches either if you're not into that. But I think yeah, that Mulesi deck is it's funky. It requires a lot of weird decisions, a lot of weird, um, a very aggressive redrawing is something mm-hmm. that it does that maybe <laughs> you're not as used to. I I mulligan to six a lot with that deck, and I win games with it all the time when I redraw to six. So it's just one of those things knowing that you need to sequence out like that turn to awaken student or the, the death touch guy. Yeah. Um, the, like certain things like that are pretty critical. Like I, I typically never keep a hand that doesn't have a two drop. Like I will just go ahead and ship it because the deck, the deck has so much consistency once it gets its regents tombs and, and stuff online that it, kind of makes up for it. it it also is weird because you look at it and you think it's an aggro deck it's like there's two drops and three drops like galore and it seems like it curves out really well but many games you're still playing kind of a defensive position because you're you're trying to get to tavrod you're trying to get to these big alessi amassed board states with 
uh, stand togethers and you're trying to protect your region's tombs at all costs most games so I, I feel like you you also have to be aware that the game plan can shift really rapidly to just very defensive and then you end up out grinding people with uh, you know the um, in- interrogators and tab rods yeah I really like Argentport decks and I've played a lot of them, but I don't know. There's something about the mana piece of this deck that <laughs> that I I have trouble with. Oh yeah, that's that's also the I the way I built that one specifically was with all the banners. So there, there is a, a weird sequencing to it that you have to play a certain banner a lot of times first. Mm-hmm. Um, and and if you don't choose the right one, it will just throw off your entire sequencing of your plays and. The difference between curving out into two, three, four, versus you know turn three playing your two drop into turn, you know it's just a big, right, a, a big jump in power level against most decks. And the, it, the 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 reason the deck is decent is that it plays Regent's Tomb perfectly on curve as many games as possible, and then protects it. And that's I found that that's that's where the strength of the deck is. And it plays Dark Return. All right. Well, anyway, people can check that deck out. on um, That's on Eternal War Cry if you just look up Barefoot Farmer. So we're ending the show. Uh, thank you for listening. And uh, remember, everyone, uh, until next week, keep on farming. Adios.